Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I'm joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Pumped your back, dude. I know. It's good to see you. It's really good to see you. We were texting all week as I was gone in, in beautiful Portland, Oregon, in the Pacific Northwest for work. So I really appreciate you uh, stepping in, running the show. You did a great job. I mean, you did the ads well. You, I mean, really, like you and Lunt together is a really bad combo for me and my fragile ego. <laughs> no, I mean, the one good thing is, you know, I truthfully i hate blunt so oh, okay well I would, I would never have him on well then uh, we're good then yeah no yeah, as you a, guys as a did a permanent person you did a fantastic job you added sound effects while i was gone it was like literally like i got out of the way and great things happened so um anyway yeah i was trying to impress you that's what <laughs> I was going you for. really I was did i was <laughs> i was uh, i had a three o'clock in the morning wake-up call on friday to to get to the airport in portland by six o'clock and um as i was on the way I heard the uh, transfer portal noise that you threw into the pod and about jumped out of my chairs. Like I didn't have any coffee by that point. So I was like, I might sleep on this airplane, but that was the coffee I needed. I was like, this, this guy just added sound effects. I hated uh, by myself. As you could tell, I apologized like four times during it, which was also <laughs> weird to do, but that was, yeah. Not and you're apologizing favorite. to nobody. Like you're apologizing yes. into the, into the ether. Yeah, it, it just felt really weird because I would make a comment like I was, you know, talking to someone and I was like, oh, my God, I'm just I'm just, it's just me here. So I felt it felt odd. I'm glad you're back. Not just because of that, but also no, I'm, that. I'm glad to be back. Um, and again, a, a big thanks to you, but a big thanks to our friend Adam Lunt for stepping in and uh, filling yeah, the seat. That. I mean, I, that's pretty cool when uh, when you know one of us is gone and and the pod just keeps moving. So very. And you know, we got Fuller on the we got Fuller on the bench behind him. Fuller's That's right, what, fourth At, string, I guess. Yeah, right. Which yeah. he well, normally is definitely walking string. on for sure. No doubt about that. <laughs> no, yeah, he's not on scholarship. Sorry, yeah, Fuller. But I, you know, I just appreciated it. I thought it was it was a little surreal listening to uh, my podcast, our podcast, uh, not with me on it. I was like, okay, this is really. Now things are moving. So anyway, I won't belabor the point, but I appreciate you guys. Thanks for letting me do that. Work took me obviously way out there. And uh, Portland's beautiful, by the way. Have you ever been? Yeah, yeah. We went, I went about four or five years ago. It's, okay. it's a cool spot. Yeah, Did we Portland enjoyed it. Seattle on the same trip and it was fun. We really enjoyed it. I mean, uh, Mount Hood over off to the east of the city. I mean, there's a, a literal active volcano out there like that. That was pretty cool. And uh, yeah. I've seen a lot of beautiful things. Um, but like outside of like being in the Rocky Mountains, I think that was one of the cooler uh, like scenic views I've ever seen. So, uh, you know, clean up downtown a little bit and it would be a, like literal destination trip. I take my wife back like spring break if, if, if we could do that. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a cool spot. Yeah. Well, Glad anyway, 
lots to get to lots to get to nobody wants to hear me you know wax poetic about the pacific northwest uh, although it does look <laughs> like twilight it really does um but what people do want to talk about is basketball and it was quite quite a week dustin i mean between kansas state and baylor two overtime games one ending uh in victory and one ending in crushing defeat and i mean let's just let's just start here what what was your takeaway from that you know uh you know, 48, 72 hours that, that took place at, for Oklahoma State. Yeah, so five overtime games this season. That's a program record. It seemed like five. Like, it's so many. I've been to three games this year, and three of them have been in overtime. Yeah, the, the one you and I went to together, yes. the Iowa State game went to overtime. So, yeah, I guess we can just kind of talk about both games together since K-State happened kind of a while ago. Baylor just happened this week. But – in the K-State game, I think my main takeaway was we don't see Keelan Boone at all. And we see Woody Newton gets 14 minutes. Yeah. His previous high, I believe, was 10. And he hadn't played more than like five or six, I don't think, in Big 12 play. What did you think about him coming in, going two or three from three, grabbing a board? I mean, what what did you think of those nine? I mean, I thought he minutes? gave them good minutes. I mean, it's just weird. Like Keelan has been one of your key rotation players for you know the better half of two years. Like, I mean, borderline starter um, on a lot of teams. And like, I I've I don't want to speculate as to what could be going on there, but it is concerning that a player of his caliber with no, you know, noted injury, we don't know of an injury. Right. So then it makes you start asking questions like what, what could be the deal there. Um, But I will say this, I I don't want to take away from Woody Newton who played well and, and stepped into a role where it was like, okay, him and Keelan are very similar players. I think what you get out of Woody is maybe a little bit like more pure of a shooter and less defensive, uh, you know, ability on the interior. But so Keelan, a little bit more well-rounded Woody, definitely a little more raw. Um, but I thought, I thought Newton played really well. Um, and in that K state game, you know, it was like if K state would just miss a three every now and again, it wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been a, a question, but there's been teams that have just lit Oklahoma state up from three Iowa state being one Baylor this last weekend being another um, where it's just like, sometimes the ball just doesn't go your way, but you know, luckily Oklahoma state gets out of there with the win. Yeah. And uh, on Woody Boynton said after the game on Keelan Boone, not playing Woody Newton was just more ready. So that's where the minutes went. So just kind of a, and what does that mean? Simple and straightforward with his answers. When people ask him about that stuff, not going into a ton of detail and I respect it, but I don't know if it's something going on with, like we kind of thought the same thing with Caleb, why he wasn't playing, you know, Boynton and Tyreek Smith getting a lot more minutes attributing it to just better performance and practice. But I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure what that means, but yes, on the three pointers. So Oklahoma state's largest lead was seven. K-State's largest lead was three, but Oklahoma State led for 35 minutes and K-State only led for four. So to your point, it felt like Oklahoma State was in control the entire time, but K-State would just not go away shooting 41% from three. But Kate, if you go back and look at this box score, look at these stats, and even if you watch the game, all, all of it together, Oklahoma State should have won this game by more. They yeah, shot 41% from three which is well above their season average of 30. 
52% from the field, 16 assists, which is above their season average of, I think we said it was 13. They win the points in the paint battle, 30 to 22. They, they basically tie in rebounds is 38, 37 in favor of K state only turn the ball over 13 times. They get 13 fast break points, 25 points off the bench. I mean, how, how did they not blow K state out? Well, what's weird about, I, I don't know, because especially when you look at what K-State got off the bench, I mean, you got Nigel Pack playing 43 of 45 minutes. That is outrageous. That's, that's insane. Then you go down a little bit further. Mark Smith, 39 minutes. Mike McGurl, 38 minutes. And Marquise Newell, 35 minutes. That is a ton of production from their starting five. That is, I mean, and those, again, those are their starters. Then you get 22 from Davian Bradford, and then the, the highest down the list is 16 minutes. So what they got was like max production from everyone to stay in that game because Oklahoma State shot better than they usually shoot. So to your point, like that's how, that's how they got it. They, yeah. they, they weren't able to go to their bench, but they still shot out of their mind, which is just like you don't see that very often. At some point you think the legs give out and they just didn't for K-State. No, that, that's a perfect explanation on that. And, and I did skip over Oklahoma State shooting 63% for the free throw line. They shot 32 threes. K-State shot 32 threes. <laughs> 32 is a lot. I, it, it, was a, it was a wild game. The ending in overtime, Avery Anderson, his ability yeah, that to, get was that, to get that shot off and hit it was just, just beautiful. And then Bryce Thompson – just a great game from him. 38 minutes, 23 points, 9 to 17 from the field, two rebounds, two assists, only one turnover. Dude's a player. Well, I think it's becoming pretty clear that uh, Bryce Thompson might – I think this team might go as Bryce Thompson and Musa Cisse go. At the beginning of the year, I think it was Avery Anderson who we all tabbed as, like, the engine on this team. I think it's Bryce Thompson, and I think Musa Cisse is equally as important. And those two guys – Really, I think it started for Bryce Thompson about a month and a half ago. Musa, though, when he came off the floor against K-State and Baylor, you noticed when he was off the floor. Um, like, rebounding gets worse. Interior presence gets worse. Teams get to the rim easier without him there. So both of those guys clearly uh, extremely important to Oklahoma State's success, and they both had great games. Yeah, I thought so, too. Kid, I don't really have – much else on K-State, you know, Oklahoma State won at 82-79 in overtime. I think you might have segued perfectly into Baylor unless you have anything else on K-State because Cissé played amazing in that game. He did. And it was like – and I noticed it against K-State and it confirmed it against Baylor that when he comes off the floor, Oklahoma State struggles to get rebounds consistently. They struggle to defend the rim consistently. I mean, he was an animal. He might have been the best player on the floor, not named Adam Flagler that night, like the most impactful player on the floor. Um, and then, I mean, you, you've got Adam Flagler for Baylor who, who scores 29 and is just like – Wasn't even supposed to play. Got a knee injury. Ugh, that makes it even worse for me. I didn't realize that. He didn't he, play in the TCU game He was right before. He was unconscious. I mean, w- without that, I mean, you get an average shooting night from him. Oklahoma State wins by 15. So, it's you know, 29. Throw the throw the result out the window as frustrating as that is. I thought I thought Cisse was spectacular. I mean, his his again, rim defending ability is um is unbelievable. He had 12 10 and had five blocks. It's just it's just insane. Fourth double double of the season. I think we get a what 10 
12 double doubles next season. I think that number doubles, possibly triples, but four is amazing in his first year at Oklahoma state just looks like an absolute animal. And the, the other thing that is so fun to watch with him, you can see through the season, the chemistry just builds. It was just kind of ice throwing him the lob pass. Now everyone throws CSA the lobs. Well, you're, you're exactly right. It's clearly become part of their plan. I'll say something about Musa Cisse. He was the 10th overall player in Cade Cunningham's class. I mean, he, he probably entered college thinking he was a, a surefire five-star or first surefire lottery pick going into that year's draft. Now he's a sophomore. He's already transferred from Memphis to Oklahoma State. Now he's a sophomore. His offensive game is still raw. He plays his absolute tail off. I mean, he, he plays the hardest on the floor every night. And you can tell by the way he runs the floor. When there's a rebound, he's usually, number one, the one pulling the rebound down. Number two, he's starting the outlet. And three, he's meeting Isaac Likely or Bryce Williams or Bryce Thompson at the rim. His motor is unbelievably high. And for a player that, like, I don't know, sometimes there's a caliber of player when they don't, you know, make it into the lottery, like when they think or when their people in their circle told them they could that you, you see a little bit of motivational level drop off, or you see like even just the, the play on the court drop off. Musa Cisse is not that way. Like you say you like next year, 10 to 12, double, double. I'm like, I want him here next year because he's already just like completely surpassed. Like my expectation for him. I was a little concerned about what we could potentially get. Um, he, I mean, outside of Bryce Thompson, I think he's just like clearly the most impactful player on this team. And there's building blocks. If him and Thompson come back, there's building blocks going forward. Yeah, 100%. The other thing, just along with his physical toughness, just a mentally tough guy. Yes. He had the family member pass away yes. earlier this year. He goes down his in mom. this game. Yeah, his mom, he goes down in this game, the shoulder injury, yep. comes right back in, which I guess leads to physical toughness too. But to your point, he's he's a fun guy to watch. Yes, I definitely, definitely hope he comes back next season. What about your guy – you know, we've, we've sometimes had My some guy. negative things oh, to say dear. about him. <laughs> Ice Likely. He yeah. gets – so he became the 44th Cowboy to score 1,000 career points. He had a floater to tie the game in overtime. You know what would have been his 1,000th thousandth, thousandth career point, though? Dude. Dude. <laughs> I don't want to Take us through this it. play. Cade, take us through this play. Well, as, some, the as game. somebody in the stadium – and I was at the game on, on Monday night – um, I almost passed away at Isaac Likely's <laughs> missed buzzer beater. And I, I was one of the people who was duped by the uh, shot clock, no shot clock thing. So if you were watching on TV, I, I heard this and I went back and looked. If you were watching on TV, you would have seen that there was no shot clock on. It went away. If you were in the stadium, you would have seen that there was a shot clock. But as I was looking at the replay, like I remembered Bryce Williams pulling the ball down like right at 30 seconds. And I just disregarded the shot clock because I was like, the next shot is coming before then. And you can think of it as no shot clock, but when likely threw that ball over his shoulder and it barely touches the net goes straight through the hoop. I mean, I lost it. I thought that was in, it was definitely before the buzzer because if you were in the arena, you heard like one faint buzzer barely and then you heard the main like game is over buzzer. And that one clearly came after the ball had left Isaac Likely's hand. So I thought in the stadium 
that was that was a bucket and uh clearly it wasn't but i mean would have been i i told my dad it would have been the wildest ending to a sports game i've ever seen with my own eyes period yes not only beating beating number 10 Baylor, likely getting his thousandth career point, the way the shot just happened, you know, flipping it over his head <laughs> last second. It it was wild. And you're right. On TV, the shot clock went away. So we couldn't so even everybody see watching the shot thought, clock. Yeah, that's I was, terrible. I was halfway driving to Stillwater to punch a ref. <laughs> well, I so in hindsight, I, I see how they make that call for sure. But like in the stadium, number one, you just don't get enough angles. You don't get a great view of it. There's like rarely a replay on an official review because the crowd gets swayed by it. So anyway, that was an amazing moment in Gallagher. And I think the players thought it was in. I think the players saw what I saw in the replay where the, you know, the, the lights go off behind the, the rim. And that came after the ball left Isaac Likely's hand. But, you know, it was the right call. What I want to talk to you about, Dustin, is – Flow Thamba and the flopping, because this this segues right into a question we got about John Higgins. We'll answer that question later in the pod. But this man is six foot 10, 250 pounds. And I talked about Mark Vidal a lot last year. And he actually he actually he came at you. He, he did come at me. Well, there's clearly a flopping problem at Baylor. There's clearly a soft big guy issue at Baylor because he didn't flop once. He didn't flop twice. He flopped three times in overtime and got it called twice. It's it's almost like I don't even he it looked like he fact, got it looked like he got hit with a cannonball. It's almost not so much on the refs. It's almost this guy shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> I know, I know he's obviously gonna do it because he's gonna get away with it, but you know what? He's a baby for even trying it. I know, That's what and I think. it's just like you're so big. We never even get like into this level of fandom on our podcast. So I love it, but it's just like, I, I couldn't believe it the first time. And again, that one was in regulation and it was a huge call at the moment. I couldn't believe Higgins fell for it. The second time he flopped Higgins didn't fall for it. And then they ran the screen right back the other way. And then he flops again on the same play and then they get it called. So I just like, you get now you can call that like you can call a flop warning you don't have to call a charge or a block every time now you have another tool at your disposal i don't want to get too into that but it was an absolutely massive call in that game yeah i i agree with you it's it it was tough to watch that something that stood out to me in this game was baylor having to go to a zone top 10 baylor having to go to a zone against oklahoma state and Oklahoma State didn't handle it well at first, but I thought throughout the game when Baylor would go to it, they were able to get the ball to the middle, to that high post, and kind of get some things. They weren't hitting all of the shots. I mean, 26% from three, 42% from the field in general. They were getting looks. They had – why didn't they do that earlier in the season? They weren't ever getting the ball to that middle area. And, you know, maybe that's – maybe that's a Caleb Boone, Tyreek Smith thing that they're able to kind of give it to those guys. I I know both of them got about 13, 11 minutes uh, or nine minutes for Boone. And then Woody Newton got 11. Maybe those guys are just better at catching it in the middle than Cissé is. And they got it to him a couple of times there, but it looked like Oklahoma state Fran kept Fran Priscilla kept saying, these guys know how to beat the zone. If you watched Oklahoma State, <laughs> if you, season, just shoot you it. know that's not true, but they were doing well in this game. So I if could you see just hit shots, yeah. Why he was saying it. Yeah, if you hit some of those shots, they win the game. And Cade, this is almost the exact opposite of the, of the K-State game when you look at the box score. 17 turnovers, 
only 26% from three, 50% from the free throw line. They only went to the line twice. Only eight fast break points, which, you know, has been their bread and butter. Sheesh. Still win points in the paint, 34 to 28, but only 13 points off the bench compared to the 25 at K-State. How were they in this game? In K-State, how did they lose, and how were they in this game? Well, it's such a conundrum. And this is the thing about college basketball. Sometimes there's never, like, a great answer. Like, in football, <laughs> I think you can kind of explain it. Like, why was Oklahoma State in this game? Well, they were able to sustain, like – defensive pressure on Baylor like into the first half beginning of the second half to extend a lead when they otherwise wouldn't have and and then you can flip this whole conversation on its head and the only reason Baylor was Baylor was in this game is because Adam Flagler drops 29 if if he doesn't do that if he drops the season average this is a 15 point win so it, it, you can flip the whole conversation on its head, and I think you could just point to the fact that college basketball can be quacky sometimes. Like, it doesn't make a ton of sense. The turnovers were very aggravating. And, you know, I mean, Bryce Thompson was getting good looks. Avery Anderson was getting good looks. Bryce Williams was getting good they looks. Just weren't falling. Your, your shooters were getting good looks, and they just weren't falling. And so, like, you look at that game, it's like, how were they in it? And how did Baylor stay in it? I, I, like, I don't, I don't get that. I well, don't get it at all. The only time they really consistently made shots was that one run late in the first half. I think it was like a 20 to nine run. I think I saw, I think I wrote it down. Yeah. They made nine of 10 during that run. Yeah. That's, <laughs> they just didn't miss. That's, yeah. That's but fun. That's really the rest fun. Of the, the rest of the game, they literally can't hit anything, but I guess, I mean, they didn't really shoot that bad from the field. It was more from three. But Avery Anderson has a tough game, 10 points, but four turnovers, and he fouled out. He was giving great effort, though. Thompson, like you said, not hitting all the shots, but he still put up 15. Ice had a solid game after really not playing very well against K-State. Cisse, we already talked about him. And then, you know, against K-State, the bench is so great, and they come out here and only give you 13 points. So that's that's tough. Yeah, no, it, it is tough. And I mean, again, I go back, like it's kind of in the tail of this season is like sometimes the shots just don't fall. And I just don't know how good Oklahoma State shooters are. But at the same time, like there were some really boneheaded mistakes that Oklahoma State made that led directly to Baylor fast point, uh, fast break points. It's like in a game like that where possessions matter and Baylor's going to a zone and the clock is grinding. I mean, like, you you really need to value the ball and they didn't do that as well as they've done most of the season um and you know when it comes from your senior guards it's just it gets it gets a little frustrating from that point but like you know going back to likely going back to you know i mean let, let's just talk about likely for a second does oklahoma state hang in that game without him i don't think so because they couldn't really hit any shots from the outside they for needed much, somebody else to do something and, and i see say yeah, I'm a critic. I mean, I, I, I'm a critic for a lot of this team, but I'm also, and I, I, I like Isaac Likely a lot. I think he leaves a lot on the table for this basketball team because there's a lot of looks that you would get if, that, if the player catching that ball could, could pose a threat offensively. You know, like there, there are looks on, in, in a zone, when they're attacking a zone that you get on a perimeter that a player that could shoot would otherwise take, but Isaac Likely can't. Now I've dogged him. What I will say that Oklahoma state doesn't stay in half these games without him because of what he does defensively, the way he can rebound, he can guard pretty much every level. 
Um, yeah, Boynton talked about that after the game. I see. I see game. why he's so important to this team, and I think a lot of people don't see that because it it really is like forget about the offense, forget about what he can't do outside of eight feet on offense. This team is better because he's out there. I think. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And like, like I said, I've also been critical of him as well, but he gives you, he gives you multiple things each game. I know he, I know he limits the half court offense, but he does give you so much in other areas. I'm going to be sad to see him go. I, I think, I know he does have the year left. I do probably think it is maybe time for him to kind of move I, on. I think so. But, definitely. I, I, I think it is. Um, I'm trying to pull up a tweet. There was a tweet from Cody Nagel, so you can continue your point. But Well, I was going to say I didn't want to completely change the topic, but what did you think on that final sequence in overtime? I, it looked like you could have called a timeout, right? Do you want to tell you – I have Boynton's quote up. Yeah, bring it, bring it up. So he says, yeah, I mean, the only sub that we could have made was Avery off the bench, but he's fouled out, right? So you're not going to use a sub. You maybe catch them scrambling a bit, a little bit. You got Bryce Williams downhill, and then you got the ball to Bryce Thompson, and I felt good that both of them have had an opportunity to go and make a play for us, right? So you got your two best playmakers, and then Thompson got bumped and kind of thrown off his path just a little bit, maybe a little excessive, and it's two seconds remaining then. Obviously, we didn't get the shot we would have preferred, but I did like the way that things flowed up until that point. I. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with the last part of that, but I know I didn't like the way knows way more about basketball than me. So yeah, it, it was tough. I mean, Oklahoma state's down two. You can probably figure out a way to get that ball into the interior, maybe a kick out. If like you're, th- if you're looking for a three, which it looked like they were, why not at least act like you could get it to um, here's what well, I ends up to- with ice who you, who you don't right. want taking it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's in the paint inside, you know, uh, six feet, then yeah, you want him taking it. it. It is funny, Cade, while you're pulling that thing up on ice, since we're probably going to keep talking about him. I do love the pick and roll now with him and Cissé. If Cissé isn't open instantly, ice is just passing directly to the wing, and that shooter is always open Yeah, because they're so worried about Cissé in the paint. So extra people are helping. They're just not hitting that shot sometimes. Some games they are, some games they're not. More games they're not. But it's funny that it's not even like – Ice isn't even looking for that pull-up shot, and he's not really looking to take it to the lane because so many guys are coming over to help on Cissé for the lob. So it's just – if the Cissé pass is not open, Ice is kicking to the wing, and honestly, it's open. like <laughs> That shot's open like every single time. Right. No, it is. And I have an interesting point that I think kind of relates to this. Oklahoma State is three and eight when Isaac likely scores at least seven points. Now they're three and nine. They are 10 and five in games that he scores less than seven. When I just told you about what Isaac likely does for this team, I didn't mention anything about offense other than what he doesn't bring. So when you look at this stat, it's like, okay, that kind of tells you Isaac likely's game is not offense. And when he scores, it's probably because nobody else is scoring. (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, and, he's got to. And honestly, unless it's him, unless it's him laying it up in the paint or a floater or something on the fast break, him taking a three or taking a long two or even taking, you know, an elbow jumper is not the shot you want. So if he's taking those in a game, he's just eating up shots from other guys that you want to take shots. I gave you Anderson, Bryce Thompson, Bryce Williams, who I know is kind of slumping right now, but I think we can attribute that a lot. I think his ankle's pretty messed up. So 
Yeah, I think it, you're right. It's it's a great stat to bring up, and it's it. He's in a he's an enigma of a player. He is I'm likely, but he's been he's been fun to watch, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be sad to see him go. But like I said, I I think it's probably I think it's probably time for him. But I appreciate what he's brought to this team because it's been fun to watch. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, I mean, Dustin, we got Bedlam this weekend. I mean, any any big thought going into that game? Sooners are without Elijah Harkless. They are. They are walking wounded. I mean, Oklahoma State should be favored in this game. Yeah, and that's going to be a big problem for them because if you remember last game, Harkless and Grove scored all the points. Right, right. And they and, literally scored all the points. Grove had the, 23, and I think Harkless had 17. I want to say I don't have it written down, but well, Harkless just, hit three early threes in the first half. I don't know what he had, but he kept them in it early. Um, and then Tanner Gross took over. But what like they want to run that, you know, two man offense, three man offense with Emoji Gibson because um, they want CJ Nolan and other guys to just hang in and like occupy, occupy the defense. So with uh, Elijah Harkless out, I think this becomes like it was a must win. I think it's like you should be favored and Oklahoma like if they score more than 55, I think you got to feel pretty bad about that defensive effort. Like they've got shooters, they've got scorers in Emoja Gibson and Tanner or Tanner Groves, but without Elijah Harkless, I mean, he kind of, he's kind of the motor. Yeah, I agree with you. And they won 64 55 last time at home. I know this game's on the road, but Caleb Boone, Rondell Walker, Cisse and Keelan Boone all scored in double digits. Avery and Bryce struggled. Bryce got in foul trouble. He wasn't able to play as many minutes as he normally does. So when you beat OU with those four guys scoring in double digits, not even your Avery Anderson, your Bryce Williams, your Bryce Thompson, and they're without Harkless, I think think Oklahoma State kind of run – I don't – I'm not runs away with it, but I could see it being a similar kind of 10-point victory. I think so too. The only thing I'm worried about is OU's coming off four straight losses. It's bedlam. I know they really want to win this one at home, but – We'll see another interesting fact from that game. That was the first time we saw Tyreek at the four with Cisse or and or Caleb out there. So I think this team got better from that point on, which is interesting to know. But so with Oklahoma, I mean, they they are walking wounded. You you mentioned Bryce Thompson. He was primarily guarded by Elijah Harkless in that game. So what does that do for him? Who does Oklahoma end up putting on him and how does that impact what they want to do defensively? Like, Again, I, I, I've said this most of the season, and it hasn't ended up being true. But, like, Oklahoma State scores 60 points. You feel decent about that in the Big 12. Um, and I think this weekend you feel really good about that. Because if Oklahoma State – or if Oklahoma scores more than 55 or 60, something went weird. Like, Gibson had 25 or Tanner Groves had 25, something along those lines. Um, and and for Oklahoma to win, I think that's what's going to have to happen. So, um, you know, for that reason, Dustin, I mean, my, my preview is pretty short. I'm going to take Oklahoma State 68. I'm going to take Oklahoma 54. I think Oklahoma State puts a late run together, and I think they run away with it. I, I just think they've got too much, like, talent when you look at them, you know, next to each other. They just don't look that much like a, a, the same team. Yeah, I love that score prediction. I don't think I could give a better one. But okay, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think Oklahoma State runs away with it. They finished the season with Iowa State and Texas Tech. Is that yeah, the last Texas team? Tech uh, in Gallagher Iba on Senior Day for Isaac Likely? That's a two o'clock tip off. That should be a packed house. I mean, that's that's the end of this crappy season with the postseason ban. 
um, you send off Isaac Likely, you're going to get a top 10 Texas Tech. That should be a, a, a madhouse, and I will be there. So, yeah, that'll be a fun one. Cade, can you tell us a little bit about, before we move off basketball, the Anthony Black saga and Oklahoma State offering oh, well, a thank you for asking. point card? Yeah, well, thank you for asking that, Dustin. This is my favorite thing to talk about. Uh, the name of the offer escapes me, so I might, I might need. I've to got it. Uh, yeah, Dantuan Grimes. Dantuan Grimes. Thank you. I wanted to say Dantuan Wright. I knew that wasn't it. I was thinking of Solomon Wright. Dantuan Wright um, was offered. He's from Kilgore College. Shout out to Kilgore, Texas. Uh, mom's from there, actually. But um, they offered him, which is an interesting twist in the Anthony Black saga Mike Boynton's no stranger to recruiting multiple guys at a position you look back to last year severe Wheeler who's now at Kentucky was being recruited at the same position that Avery Anderson was already at so he loves positionless basketball I think especially in the backcourt I think he takes people who can handle the ball he said as much but Anthony Black and Arkansas are getting a little uh friendly for my liking. I've thought Anthony Black was Oklahoma State bound for a long time. I still think if you if I had to pick, I think he ends up at Oklahoma State. But Arkansas has kind of a track record here. They have a track record of swooping in, not just Oklahoma State, of swooping in and and nabbing somebody that has stuck around for a little while. I there was a poster in a forum and I, I wish I could give them the credit, but I don't remember where it was or who it was. But said it reminded them of JT Thor and the light bulb turned on for me at that point. It was like, it really does kind of ring the bells of JT Thor, who for a long time was an Oklahoma state lock was getting Oklahoma state crystal balls up until he was committed to Auburn. I mean, it literally happened that fast. And in college basketball with NIL, it's just, you, you never know. So with Anthony black, there is a little concern that I have about like, I mean, with Arkansas, you know, specifically that's close to home for him. So um, they could make a run at him. What's your percentage that he ends up at Oklahoma state? If you would ask me, I think the last time we talked about this, I was like 80% today. I'm probably at 55%. Ooh, don't like that. I don't like it either. I think Oklahoma I, state needs him. I did. Obviously, I'm not trying to compare Black and Grimes. Black is clearly the guy you want, but I did watch a little bit on Grimes. Good player. He's got some nice handles. He's got a little floater. His shooting mechanics look good. I know his, I think his three-point average was about 36% this past season, but the the jumper looks good. He jumps really high in the air. He's a shorter guy, 6'2", so not something you love, super high jumpers always, but active defender. I actually saw him make a few blocks in yeah. some of the film I was watching, so I think he averaged 14.4 points, four rebounds, and 3.2 assists a game. He's more of a scoring point guard, but he can still facilitate, and he's active all over the place. So I think it definitely would be a disappointment, a step down, but he'd be a nice guy to have on the team. Yeah, and it makes you wonder. I've heard some things, and that's all I'm going to say, but I've heard some things about the roster and – you know, the transfer portal is obviously a huge part of college basketball today. So you look at what could come open in the coming weeks and months. I mean, I, I would not be surprised to see um, multiple people being contacted in the transfer portal, um, you know, as, as things 
move along. Um, you know, I, I just think movement is so common um, that you, you're not going to be able to avoid it. And I think Oklahoma State could be uh, in position to lose lose some folks this year. So we'll see. You hope the roster stays intact. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they land because, you know, they start going after Dantuan Grimes and players that are JUCO, which you don't know a ton about. You do obviously start asking those natural questions. So, yeah. Well, Dustin, before we move on, I do want to talk about something with you. Anything else on basketball before we do? I'm good to move on. Hey, what do you know about Home Field Apparel? You heard of them? Yes. Sponsored the program. I think you might be wearing one right now, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, (laughs) friends of the pod, friend of the Tone 12 Network, they've actually got a friends and family sale going on today. Uh, And I don't know what you know about friends and family sales, but the discounts are normally huge. So right now, today and tomorrow, so actually, as you're listening to this, we're recording on Wednesday night, tomorrow being Thursday, tomorrow on Thursday, 30% off over 200 products. When you go to the website, it's going to be super easy to find. I actually looked at this earlier. There's several Oklahoma State offerings. Pistol Pete shirt, one of the throwback Oklahoma A&M logos. Like there's several things on there at a a really nice discounted rate. Obviously, like our promo code feels 12, you can always use, but you don't even need that this week uh, for their friends and family sale. So 30% off over 200 products. I also saw... You know my affinity for Georgetown, right? <laughs> I yeah. saw a Georgetown sweater, like a navy blue crew neck with the like Georgetown seal, like the university seal. I I might be rocking that here in the coming weeks. <laughs> uh, let's just say that. All right. Yeah, and they, they've got awesome Oklahoma State stuff on there. It would be uh it would be great to have some friends that I could tell about the friends and family sale, but I'll definitely <laughs> tell my family. Well, I think it's more of just like a, a thing you can you can call it that. You don't need friends to, to oh, just put this people? out there. Okay. No, cool. so you're good. You're good in that regard. Awesome. Don't worry too much awesome. about that. But 30% off tomorrow on Thursday. Don't miss out because these, I mean, these are really good premium quality uh, items that they sell. Uh, and they've got sweet logos. The licensing, whatever they're doing. Uh, we need a little bit of that because I, I like what they've done there. So anyway, wanted to plug our friends at Homefield Apparel, uh, and you can visit them at homefieldapparel.com. Dustin, moving on. That was a live ad read. What would you grade that as? And let's go eight out, let's go eight out of ten. Um, yeah, I was gonna say seven point seven <laughs> okay. out of ten. So but I'm I a little overzealous. Me. Yeah, I'm a little the, over That was cool. Yeah, no. I'll give you- I- Nate, I can round up to an eight. Okay, I like yeah. the decimals. That's good. I that's really good. I don't like doing those live. I'll say that much. Um, but we're gonna have to get used to it because the feels like forty five <laughs> podcast is swelling, my friend. But let's. I mean, let's move on. I mean, we've got football to talk about. We have a roster update. We have numbers to talk about. We've got Derek. I mean, where do you want to start? Yeah. So I say let's talk spring roster real quick. Earlier today, Pokes Report put out an article about some of the new coaches on staff. Just wanted to run through those really quick. We don't – a lot of them are coming from smaller schools, so we don't have to break it down really. Just kind of wanted to mention it. Zach Allen is coming in as the new offensive line analyst for recruiting. Played at Oklahoma State. He's actually Robert Allen's son. He coached at NEO. Uh, I think he coached one other – Northeastern, yes. Uh, He was the defensive run game coordinator and recruiting coordinator there. He was the head coach at NEO for a little while. you got Braden Kersley replacing Chris Myers as the offensive line graduate graduate assistant, quality control coach. He has uh, experience um, coaching – or he – sorry, playing at BYU and Oregon State. 
He's an offensive line coach at Swasu. And prior to that, he uh, was at the University of North Dakota. You've got Cameron O'Neill. He's been added as a recruiting analyst for running backs. O'Neill comes from Henderson State, and he did some time in the NFL as well. And then finally, Tim Sanders is coming to Oklahoma State from Appalachian State as an offensive analyst. Cade, any thoughts on those guys? Or well, they're filling the cupboard. Any of them? I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah, I, I I don't know enough about them to to have an opinion one way or another. Um, but but you like bringing in young, talented coaches for sure. Anytime you can do that, and you know, especially considering that you've got a coordinator coming in, you would think that some of those guys probably met with Derek Mason. There probably was an alignment. So yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. I mean, it seems, seems good to me. So spring football roster came out, Cade. We finally have confirmed there are 10 <laughs> early enrollees. <laughs> I already know where you're going. <laughs> so we've got Taylor Shetron, Ollie Gordon, CJ Brown, Tyron Weber, Garrett Rangel, Landon Dean, Dylan McKinney, Gabe Brown, Xavier Benson, and Tabor Shetron. How did Those you are know? the 10. Those are the 10. We were going back and forth from 11 to nine, but Ollie Gordon is officially on campus. They were able to get him in his uh, Euless Trinity. They do the trimesters. Mm. So that's, I think why it was taking some time to get him kind of synced up academically, but he's on campus. Uh, Coach Wozniak tweeted out a picture helping Ollie move in. So he'll be working out. It'll probably take him a little bit to get up to, you know, full workout since the guys have already started but he'll be there ready for spring practice and ready to go. Which is fantastic. I mean, we, I don't know about you. I started to get a little bit uh, queasy about this. I didn't like that. There was no true definitive answer. I mean, I, I kind of thought at some point this would resolve itself, but the trimester thing is interesting. I didn't realize they did that. That kind of explains it. Right. How did nobody some Louisiana schools? And so I I was a little bit familiar with it, but I'm not sure why it didn't really come out. Yeah. Like you would have thought that that would have been like, once somebody says, Oh yeah, their, their second trimester ends in January, it would have been like, Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. I think it just, it, it obviously was a credits academic sinking issue. So nothing to Ollie's fault at all, but a little weird that that kind of is just coming out, but everybody's I saw 247 put something out on it, pistols firing post report. So it's definitely been confirmed everywhere. And he's on campus. Kate, I wanted to get your thoughts though. We tweeted out the table. Yes, we did. I, I tried to get it out. I just wanted to get it out quickly so everybody could see it because I love when the numbers come out. I love to see the walk-ons. I, I had to tweet it before really looking into it, but I dove into it right after. What do you think about some of these interesting walk-ons? So we've got Solomon Wright. He is a, the son of Kenyatta Wright, who played at Oklahoma State and played in the NFL. He's a defensive tackle. He came from Arkansas on scholarship. He's, come, he's transferring here to walk-on. He's coming with his brother, Elijah Wright, who is playing at UCO. And then you've got Rylan McQuarters, yes. who is transferring in and he is the son of former Oklahoma State player R.W. McQuarters. Yeah, if that one rings a bell. <laughs> and he's transferring in from NEO. So another, he's also played some college ball. What do you think? What do you think about Solomon? Were you able to watch anything on him? I was able. The to Solomon Wright thing was tape. was a shocker because Oklahoma State yeah. was in on him out of high school. Like I saw that name, and I was like, wait, is that? Are we talking about the Solomon Wright that we talked about last year, two years ago, this time? 
And it is, I mean, that that's a big deal. I mean, defensive tackle, a position of need, like it's funny how these things work out that way, because we've talked about defensive tackle, def- interior defensive line for so long. And then just like out of the thin uh, blue clear sky, like this just happens. So Solomon Wright's a big, a big time get Rylan McCorders. I'm excited to see that. I didn't, I didn't expect that at all. Didn't hear anything about that. So um, that's going to be fun. That's going to be a lot of fun. Looks just like his dad too. Yes. Yes, he does. Both talented guys that I think, I think Solomon Wright is going to get in on the action, maybe not right away next season, but I think he'll be in the defensive tackle rotation. I went back and watched his high school film because he did not get, he did not play at all at Arkansas. He played two way Oklahoma football, but he, and probably maybe some, cause it was two way, but he absolutely manhandled people. He primarily lined up at nose or kind of a three tech defensive tackle insane burst off the line great tackle in open space his lateral movement for somebody at his weight was pretty impressive he's a little bit shorter he's only about six foot I don't think he has a ton I don't know how much frame he has to be able to put on a lot more weight so that's kind of a downside to him but other than that he's got the low center of gravity you can't really move him like I said he didn't miss many tackles I even saw him stand up on the edge a few times and he also, in one of the highlight films I watched, he punted it. He kicked it. So that was pretty impressive. I, I saw Adam Lunt say this on Twitter. I had the same thoughts after watching him. I probably actually had him before Lunt. But he's a, I think he's a Jernigan type, a guy that you put in on passing situations that can get after the quarterback because he's lightning quick off the line of scrimmage and not just for 2A Oklahoma football, for any style of football. Yeah, I can't wait. I, I'm I'm really excited. Solomon Wright was one that I was like, mm, he's the one that got away from last year's that I, I think that was last year's class. He was a freshman. That would have been last year. Yeah. He was one that I was like, man, hard to believe that that one didn't land in Stillwater. So exciting that he has, because this is, and as you just said, he's the, he jumps off the screen. And so I, I don't know. I'm excited to see him. Um, anytime you can keep a legacy in Stillwater, like that's that's a must. So, oh, for sure. Uh, a couple other interesting notes from the walk-ons. You got two kickers: Gabriel Reed from Arkansas, Monticello, transferring in, and then Campbell Ambrose transferring in from Swasu. So, kind of interesting there. I know Brady Pole is no longer on the roster, so Tanner Brown's coming back. Brock Martin's coming back. Some of the super seniors I forgot to mention. Braden Johnson's back. So those guys are all back. Um, just, just cool stuff. We got the numbers out. We had a few I people know. switch I numbers. I want to talk with you about this. What was your so? What's your favorite? What's your favorite incoming newcomer number? And what's your favorite number switch? There's not as many switches to pick from. Okay, so I don't. Uh, I need to go refresh myself on the number switches. Actually, I did see this. Obviously, we. I think you're gonna have out. the same answers. Yeah, I think I am too. Mason I'm, Cobb. Yes, it's so good. So good. Zero at linebacker. Come on. That's so good. 38 to zero. I also liked Corey Black. I thought that one was pretty good. I've always liked number two for a defensive back. But my favorite, um, and it's actually kind of funny that I just said that. It's not Ollie Gordon at number zero, which is fantastic. I mean, zero for Ollie is so good. It's Taylor Shetron rocking the two. Oh yeah, got to be for me. He's basically Tylen, right? In his right. first name, if you jumble the letters up, 
rocking the two. I love that. I love the two. My, I think I'm gonna have to go with Xavier Benson to kind of compliment Mason Cobb, number one and number zero. Yeah, at linebacker, I think those are going to be the two starting linebackers. Uh, so shout out to, really cool. to one of our listeners, Dale, who called that the digital duo. I thought that was <laughs> so good. So good for our nerdy friends out there who understand that. What if I would have told you that uh, Gabriel Reed's number 59 was my favorite? What would you have said? Um, at kicker. If you would have said it immediately, I would have thought, yeah, that checks out. But now I know you're <laughs> joking. So like, yeah, no, it would have been it would have been on brand. I'd say that one one <laughs> more number notes. Garrett Rangel wearing number 13. He said he wears that because when he was a little kid, Kenny Hill or Kenny Trill, as you may oh, know, a TCU no. quarterback, was at South Lake. And I think it was at a camp or something he was talking about. And he's always, you know, Kenny, he looked up to him at South Lake when he was, I think, you know, five, six years old or something like that, he was saying. And so he rocks this number 13 for him. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I don't think I've ever felt old like that. Five or sorry, I don't. I don't think he was that young. I I didn't think that was the part of what I said that you were going to keep. I just about spit my water out. Like, yeah. Oh my god. Just when he when he when he was younger, and so he looked up to Kenny Hill at South Lake, rocking the thirteen. Well, it's cool, but Kenny Hill. I mean, he hadn't been there for five years now, so like. That's that's pretty sweet. I love when there's a story behind the number. Um, and I also love 13 for a quarterback. I really I love a, a low digit for a quarterback. Like number three is great, but like 12, 13, or 14 or 15 are great quarterback numbers. So this is one of my favorite like parts of the offseason when the new numbers come out. I always love to see what happened. The number switches, like that's disappointing because usually there's one that's like, oh wow. Like, uh, you know, I thought Brennan Presley at some point, like I thought he'd go from 80 to one, but that's yeah. not going to happen. So he's, he's rocking the 80. That would be cool if he switched. Yeah. But yeah, no, no other number comments for me, Cade, but it's awesome to see the newcomers out there, get that confirmed and I'm excited for spring football to start up. Oh, me too. Well, we had a, an interview last week, not we, there was an interview with Derek Mason on OSU max, which again, we've said this, if you're not subscribed, you need to be because, I mean, the, the content that's coming through there is like you're, you're really not going to get a better look at it than that. Um, what did you think? They sat down, obviously, with Derek Mason, new incoming defensive coordinator, and they dove deep. Um, what was your takeaway from that interview? He's so awesome. I know I said it on here. I've listened to some interviews with him. I watched a couple of coaching clinics. He's so much fun to listen to talk. But I think my big takeaway, he mentioned it multiple times, that he's trying to build on the defense that was already installed here from Coach Knowles, add in his own wrinkles. I've actually heard that some talk of a, I don't know, Kate, if, if this, how this makes you feel, but a Tyler Lacey single hand in the ground with maybe a Cobb, Brock Martin, Trace Ford, and Colin Oliver all out there standing up on the line of scrimmage. Mm. I don't know what that does for you, but well, you could interest me in that, is what I'll say. <laughs> But yeah, that was kind of my main key takeaway on a more lighter personal note, the fact that his great grandmother was born in Stillwater. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I, I didn't expect that. You nailed it on the football side of things. I also had like a personal thing that I took from that interview. He's a very likable guy, very charismatic. And I appreciated that. He said something really kind of like, off the cuff. I don't know if he would remember having said this, but he said he trusts up front 
and then waits to give you for you to give him a reason not to trust you on the back end. It's like if you're in, you know, if you're in management and your job, if you're, you know, if you deal with people on a daily basis, I thought that that was like very, very uh, eye opening and enlightening, especially from a, a defensive coordinator where it's like, I don't know Jim Knowles. I don't know. I haven't seen much of like the way he interacts in practice, but I'd be curious to know how that relates, how a upfront trusting, like, you know, I believe you're a good person until you show me otherwise, or I believe you can handle the role that's been given to you until you show me otherwise. I thought that that was very introspective. And, you know, I, 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 I just appreciated that. It was like, I kind of seem, see myself the same way, like trust up front until you screw me and then maybe we don't talk anymore so yeah was, he's i loved it i i agree with you he's he just he just seems like a really cool guy one thing i think he maybe shouldn't have said that he said because now i think all the media people are running with this is the fact that he dj'd in college yeah you know <laughs> i mean if fran for called football games it would be the first thing they talk about that's going to be mentioned a hundred times now but it is funny he said his turntables are being delivered to Stillwater. he said that was that cool he bat, he kind of took a break from it i think his wife got him for him as like a present or something like that and now he's back at it but mentioned several art a random assortment of artists that was funny he said he loves to fly fish in the summers in montana just Seems like a real down-to-earth guy. And on the football side of things, again, he talked a lot about speed when he was talking about recruiting players on defense. That's something you really like to hear. I think he's going to bring a lot to that defensive back room. And it, and just the reason why he took the Oklahoma State job, just trying to take a step back, learning from Coach Gundy, who he, he noted had been a head coach for so long, said his wife thought it was the right move to kind of take some step back, get, gain some perspective on kind of what he wants to do moving forward. You know, he's 52 years old, but – Maybe he could see himself learning. He said he's still learning at this age. So that was that was kind of cool to hear. And then I think the only other takeaway that I had that I didn't know before or that was interesting to me was that Charlie Dickey, Oklahoma State's offensive line coach, was on the coaching staff at Northern Arizona when Mason was playing there. Oh, wow. I missed that. Yeah. Yeah. He's, a, he's an interesting guy. I was actually sitting here getting a proof on, on a shirt idea because when I asked you what you thought about the interview, you just said, he's so awesome. I'm like I just thought of a shirt idea. He's so awesome. And make the O Derek Mason's face. You just heard it here first. <laughs> we stamped it. That's ours. You can't take it. And we'll know if you did, but that's it. That's the shirt. We're printing them. I love it. It's so awesome. Great shirt idea. Yeah. Anyway, I would wear it. Maybe we can get home field to print those for us. But anyway, <laughs> I, he's just a sharp guy and um, introspective. And obviously like the fact that he respects what's been done up to this point, he talked about how long Gundy's been there 17, 18 years. I think he threw that number out there at least four times, which is impressive. I think he appreciates that, especially having been in the SEC for seven years. Um, I can't wait to see what they do together. I want to ask you something real quick. It's kind of piggybacking on that. Did you see last night, Mike Gundy, they put a video out, OSU Cowboy football, Mike Gundy going around. Uh, I think it was one to one of the uh, non-Greek houses. Like it was, it was one of the on-campus housing. And he was thanking them for coming to the football games. I, I don't know if I'm like, you know, misremembering or for, when was the last time you saw a video like that put out with Mike Gundy going out to one, one of the houses and thanking them for coming. I can't remember one off the top of my head. I want to preface. I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying 
the whole air is different. Like <laughs> the air around the program is different. You get, you've got money to hire assistants. You've got big names coming in. Then you see something like that. And it's like, I haven't seen Gundy around with the students on campus in forever. So I thought that was interesting because again, I just think there's a little bit of like a, a tone shift going on here that maybe we look, we keep looking at. No, I agree. It's awesome to see him still having that kind of energy mm-hmm. at this, you know, age and this era of his I know. tenure. So I know it's pretty cool after 18 years. So anyway, Dustin, moving along to the transfer portal, which this section is now sponsored, but we can't tell you who's sponsoring it. We'll talk about that <laughs> next week. But Dustin, hey, I mean, you, what's what's the latest? Yeah, do you just want to give a quick rundown and we can, I think we can so. hit on any highlights from there? So, you know, Oklahoma State has a bunch of offers out. I'll list them all out. I'm not going to go through who they are again. I'll just kind of say their school and then give you, if I have any update, there may not be any. But Prince Pines, Sam Houston offensive lineman. Mississippi State continues to be in regular contact from him with what I've seen from their 247 yes. site. It sounds like he's going to visit some point in the spring. He's got two years left to play. We'll see what happens there. I, I think Oklahoma State may be out of the mix there. I'm not 100% sure. Both the Middle Tennessee offensive linemen, Dorian Hinton and Lance Robinson, no update there. I haven't seen any new offers out on Twitter. Obviously, they don't put all of them out. But then you've got Rashawn Wilkins from Vandy. Western Kentucky and UConn recently offered him. You got Xavier Gadlin from Tulsa. I haven't seen much on him yet. Darius Joyner, the Western Illinois cornerback. He's got one year left. Texas is in the mix there. UCLA, I know they're kind of coming after him hard. Haven't seen any big updates there. Marquise Robinson, the Auburn defensive lineman. Missouri, I think, has that one pretty locked up. I know he visited Missouri and Tennessee. I think they're coming after him pretty hard there. And then you've got the two Vanderbilt guys. You've got Jason Queso Brooks, the so Vanderbilt good. guard. So good. He, re- he recently got an offer from Michigan State, I saw. So that's a pretty big one for him. And then Vanderbilt transfer linebacker to Ricky Wright. That's new since the last podcast. OSU offered him on February 17th. He's got a few offers coming in. I know Texas is in the mix there. Cade, what do you think about those guys? Anybody you see? I want all the Vanderbilt need? Yeah. I mean, obviously, like offensive line continues to be the thorn in their side, especially as they've kind of shored up. I mean, they've added two on the interior defensive line right now. And again, they're really kind of starting this positionless with, you know, an anchor in the middle type of philosophy. It seems like that may be what they want to do. Um, So do they look for a Rashawn Wilkins? I don't know. I hope so. I would love to see that. Uh, Prince Pines is still at the top of my list, but I just, I don't know if I see it happening at this point. You would have thought that at some point you would have heard something. But again, as we enter into the transfer portal, like in this like dead period, we're going to, you know, at some point we may not even talk about it anymore because there's just not going to be a ton of movement. I think there will be as the semester winds down and kids start to find their next, you know, step in the summer and, you know, going on into the fall. It's just kind of in this dead period right now. So Rashawn Wilkins is one that I've wanted since they've offered him. Queso um, Brooks, I mean, come on, come on. That's an all-name team right there. So easy, easy answer. Um, and then Prince Pines would be. That's kind of my wish list for the from the portal right now. And again, there are going to be people entering that we don't know. So Yeah, DeRicky Wright's an interesting one, the new offer, because in 2020, he was primarily playing safety when Derek Mason was there at Vanderbilt. 
and they kind of switched him to more of a linebacker role. So that would be interesting. There's two guys that popped up in the portal that I thought were kind of interesting. Cam Stewart, Coastal Carolina offensive lineman, and then Andre Harris, who I've seen a couple of people tweet about recently from Arkansas State. He's a PC North high school grad oh, in Oklahoma that? City. Played left guard most of his career at Arkansas State and then switched to left tackle last season. He started games since 2018. I think a lot of people are probably going to come after him because he's basically been a starting offensive lineman for three seasons. And I know it's at Arkansas State, but or for four seasons. So he's got a lot of snaps under his belt, but that would be cool. I haven't heard anything official there. They're going to get an offensive lineman, but I think at this point, as we said on here, that they're fine with it being in the summer. So yeah, that's kind of the transfer portal update. Not No huge news there. I'm sure something will happen right after the podcast, but there's kind of your just quick breakdown. Yeah. Appreciate it as always, Dustin. It's uh, it's going to be fun. Again, I think the transfer portal is a transfer puddle right now, but we we know it's going to get nuts here in just a little bit. Um, Dustin, anything else there before we before we proceed? I wanted to say one thing though. Dericky Wright at six four two thirty with some safety experience. I mean, that that screams Trey Flowers to me. Yeah, that that would be awesome. I, he would be. I think he'd be a solid kid, and it'd be cool to have somebody that you know, Mason's familiar with that. He obviously liked yeah. him on the Vanderbilt I think squad. if, I think if there's guys like that, I mean, you look at Marquise Robinson out of Auburn, those would be the guys that I would want. I would want the guys that know Derek Mason and follow him because clearly there's a reason you would follow a coach somewhere else. Like, I don't think you would do that if you didn't believe in what they're doing or, you know, fall in line. So any of those four that have that previous experience within that previous tie, I think that's, you know, a sign me up type of situation. So anyway, Dustin, thanks for the breakdown. Appreciate you as always doing that. Let's move on to listener questions. I think this is, I mean, still, uh, again, fantastic part of the show. And we've got a ton of them this week. Um, And what I want to do, I mean, we get a lot of, you know, there's a lot that comes into this, like talking about baseball, softball, golf, wrestling, all these miscellaneous sports. The fun thing about this is a lot of you guys ask questions about these sports. And so rather than talk about them and then answer your questions, we're just going to talk about them as we answer your questions. So Dustin, I'll go ahead and start. We've got a a good one here from, from a friend of the pod, big Lou. Hey guys, big Lou here. Um, Have a couple questions about basketball. Number one, I'm not up on the, uh, on the legal jargon, but is it possible that for the NCAA to rescind our boys' suspension, and I'd hate for a team that plays this hard to to not get a shot at the postseason. I just hate it, so I'm trying to hold on to hope wherever I can find it. So, if you can give me some, that'd be great. Uh, second question: I, I'm curious about what you guys is uh, like favorite most unheralded uh, basketball player is. Uh, in OSU history, for me, it's Daniel Bobic. I love, I just love that dude's uh, that dude's shot was so unorthodox, and he was such a big part of that team that not many people talk about still. So, uh, just wanted to kind of you know, fun uh, fun walk down memory lane. Want to get you guys' opinion, but thank you guys. Y'all have a great day. Appreciate everything you do. Big Lou, that's a fantastic question. Those are great. Um, I'll take the first part, Dustin, and then I think you you could probably you know take the second part and start that way. I can't give you any hope. There's there's no way. I mean, at this point, the season's over uh, on March fifth on Saturday uh, of next week. So 
um, you know, no hope. But what you did say that I agreed with is how hard this team plays. And I think that's like, that's clearly a testament to the character of the team. Also the character of the coach, because I mean, most programs would fold. Most fans would stop showing up. That Baylor game was like most, you know, weeknight games in Gallagher over the last 10 years. You wouldn't know there was a postseason ban during that game. The atmosphere was great. You would have loved for a few more people to show up, but it is what it is. So can't offer you any hope, but like, I think you have to take in the fact that like they're playing their butts off still as something to be happy about. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree. And Lou, Lou, thanks for the question, but yeah, there's no, there's no way they're going to rescind that. But (laughs) I do think on, on heralded players, and I know I, I kind of try to preface this every time we get like a historical OSU question, I didn't really pay attention to Oklahoma state basketball at all until I started going to school there in 2007. So my guys have to kind of be from that time period forward. And I think I'm going to go with, I was trying to rack my brain while listening to that question. I think I'm going to go with Matt Pilgrim. We talked about him when we talked about Oklahoma state knocking down another number one school and they took down Kansas. Cause I think he had 18 points in that game, but Matt Pilgrim, I know he transferred in. I believe it was from, Hampton, I think is where he's and oh, he played at Hampton and Kentucky, but never a never a big time score in his time here. Seven point eight points per game throughout his career. I think the highest he averaged at Oklahoma State was eight point two, six point seven rebounds. Just a guy that went out and was gritty at like I think he was six eight, two fifty. Good size on him. He he brought you some games where he could just go out and score, but overall just a solid duty. I, I really liked him a lot when he was here at Oklahoma State. Matt Pilgrim is fantastic, and usually that would be my answer. Uh, the problem is you said it, so now I can't. Um, <laughs> this is a tough one. I mean, I've watched a lot of Oklahoma State basketball. I mean, I I would think like a Jeffrey Carroll could be up in that conversation. I know that's a recent one, but like he was he was the offense for a couple of years there, right? Like he was. Well, he's the almost guy. not unheralded though. I right? Do you think? Do you think people think about Oklahoma State and think about Jeffrey Carroll? Well, I, I, I guess I was trying to think of a more like under the radar guy on a team, but I, I do love the Jeffrey Carroll pick as well. My question is just how high is the radar? Obviously, we're not talking about like Markel Brown and Marcus Dove and players like right. that, but like, uh, I don't know. I can't, I can't think that far back. No, I, mean, I like the Jeffrey Carroll one. I, I yeah, I'm trying to argue with you on no, it. No, 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 no. I, I, I know you weren't. I, I, I don't know. I'm like, did you want me to say like Redger Dowell? Is that what, is that what, is that <laughs> I wanted that someone really, really random and trolling? <laughs> well, I was thinking like Daniel Bobbick is a great one. A great one. I was trying to think back to those 2000, like nine, 2008, 2017, but you said Matt Pilgrim and he was awesome for a long time. So um, he would really probably have been my answer, honestly. Um, but yeah, I, I would think like Jeffrey Carroll, he is so recent that I think if you ask in like five more years, like he will be an under the radar guy because people don't really think of him as like, I don't know. I'd be surprised if he, you know, maintained that level of, you know, you know, status or whatever. Anyway, great question, Lou. Appreciate it. That's our only voice question of the week though. So Dustin, I think we should have some Twitter questions. Yeah. So we've got some on Twitter. So our first one is from Ed Too Tall Jones. He's Ed Jones, (laughs) four, five, five, three four four seven zero why does the baseball team strike out 50 times per game (laughs) and so 
I know 50 is an exaggeration, but in that first Vanderbilt game, and yeah. Kate, I know we talked about this. We were both able to actually watch all three games, and they were a lot of fun. It was fun. awesome. 18 strikeouts in that 3-0 loss on, on Friday. Then on Saturday, they come back and win 4-3, still 11 Ks in that game. And then on Sunday, the big win, 7-5 to take the series, 16 strikeouts. Last night in the 6-3 loss to Sam Houston, only six, but it's it's just been a it's been a problem. So here's the thing. Vanderbilt's the number three team in the nation. They're a young team, but their pitching is stellar. Yeah. And it has been. So striking out a bunch against a team like that. And I know Oklahoma State, they're not they're ranked number seven. I they're up to number four and even higher now in some polls. They should be able to get hits off the best pitchers. But just to preface it with that, and the other thing is Oklahoma State, this team, a lot of the guys that have been on this team for a couple of years, they've struggled sometimes with just swinging at some bad pitches. It's just it's just something they're going to have to correct. And you've got guys like Jake, Jake Thompson who can hit, who are maybe Holiday City's the best two-strike hitter he's ever seen. So you've got guys who can take some strikes and still are able to battle out of it. But I think it's just getting behind in the counts and just swinging at some bad third strikes and they even struck out looking a few times, but I overall I, I think they'll correct that. You've got guys like our boy Griffin Dorshing. Oh, you've got Jake Thompson. These guys are absolutely crushing the ball right now. Dorshing's got like four doubles, but you're gonna need more from some of these other guys. You're gonna need more from Houston Morrill, who's batting 125 right now. You're gonna need more from Nolan McLean, Brock Riggio. Who, who I said Nolan McLean was going to be the guy who yeah. took over for Christian Encarnacion Strand. He he only has one hit so far. Rock Riggio, the young true freshman that looks who's looked awesome at yes. second base. David Mendham, I know he hit the big home run, but he at the DH spot he hasn't been great. Caden Trinkle, another another guy who's consistently been a great hitter. They're just not hitting right now. We're only four games into the season, and you gotta, okay, you gotta get more from the catcher spot. Ian Doherty and Chase Atkinson, they're not doing much for you there, but. I think all of these guys, all these names I just went through, your Lyle Miller Green, who had, who DH'd a little bit too and got a big hit. All of these guys are great hitters. Oklahoma State's lineup can do so many different things. We saw some bunts laid down by Marcus Brown, who had to switch over to third base and who's been playing great there from shortstop due to some injuries. He's been awesome. They've got power with Dorshing and McLean. They've got just solid guys that can get on base every single time, like Trinkle and Jake Thompson. This lineup is so well-rounded. They can do so many things. They can play yep. small ball. They can go for power. They, I wouldn't worry about it yet four games into the season. So, Ed, I appreciate the question, but I think I think it's going to turn around. Yeah, and I'm, I'm with you. I think the talent is there. I mean, the talent jumps off the screen against a Vanderbilt where the talent jumps off the screen for Vanderbilt. You know what I mean? Like, they are you, – you got a barometer, and you. I think that was the first time Vanderbilt lost a home series since 2019, if that's right. I mean, that's yeah. that's nuts. Um, so I'm not worried about it yet. The Sam Houston State game, that's disappointing. But again, I think you've got a lot with Dorshing and and Thompson there. But again, you you mentioned Trinkle, Riggio, Morrill. Like that's that's a group that you can build with. And it's early in the year. I mean, they're breaking some rust off. I I'm not even really worried about the Sam Houston State game. I mean, that was you know kind of middle felt, of the week game. Felt kind of nine fluky. pitchers. Yeah, nine pitchers. It's in Arlington, neutral site. Uh, not on TV. Sleepy, not on TV. I, 
you don't want to lose that game, obviously, but there was a lot of like sky is falling type of stuff on Twitter last night, uh, seeing that. So um, just remember that they just took two out of three from Vanderbilt. So they're going to get, they played, uh, yeah, they're going to get more challenges going forward. Three straight error-free games in Nashville against Vanderbilt in the field. And that's an Oklahoma State team who I think some people were worried about how they would handle in the field. They've got great position players, but to go three straight games against a team like Vanderbilt with no errors is impressive. And Kate, before we move on to the next question, there was one baseball quote I had written down and I, I won't read through the whole quote, but just to kind of paraphrase holiday said, Jake Thompson has a Tony Gwynn Wade Boggs style approach. At the plate. <laughs> what do those two names do for you when talking about our guy, oh, Jake Thompson? Boy, I mean, it just flashes me back to my childhood of, you know, backyard <laughs> baseball, or MLB The Show 2000. I mean, anything. Those are like, some, that's some high praise. Yeah. I mean, Tony Gwynn, sheesh. That, that's not uh, – that's, that's a name to be associated with for sure. <laughs> to, keep it, uh, to keep it baseball, we got another question here from Kyle Schneider, at Kyle Schneider OG. Who are you most excited for on the Cowboy pitching staff? Cade, I'm going to go first because I don't want you to steal my answer. Oh, well, you're going to steal mine. Let's say it on three. One, two, three. Victor Whoa. Oh, <laughs> okay. So let's talk about both. We can start. Let's start with Osmond because this is a guy who Fantastic. struggled last season. Yes. He struggled last season. A, a, a really talented prospect coming in. Didn't look great at times last season. And then he comes in and Holiday said it was the best outing of Bryce's career. Hands down. He looked like a real pitcher. That's what Holiday said. Oh, that's tough. So he was an absolute ace. Yep, he was. In that game on Sunday. Looked amazing. Five innings pitched. Gave up three earned runs, but eight Ks. Just seemed in control and way more in control than I, I saw him look probably at any time last season. He was, he was amazing. Well, and he was, and that's not to say that Maderos wasn't. Maderos is a, is electric. I, He's I can't, awesome. I can't wait to talk with you. Complete about him. psychopath. Yes, he, he freaks, is. He not only He's going to scare the kid. After a strikeout. Yes. Yeah. He he sometimes gets jacked up after a single strike is thrown. <laughs> you see a fist pump or just kind of a facial expression, and I love that. He gave he gave a great four innings on Saturday. I think he gave up one earned six Ks. He'll come after you with – I think he threw – I think he struck a guy out on three straight high heaters. He'll come after you with the fastball, but he's got a nasty slider as well that he can bring. He's going to be a lot of fun if he can pitch like that because he struggled a little bit at Miami after being a huge prospect out of high school. If he can pitch like that, it'll be a lot of fun. And then we can't, we can't leave the pitchers without talking about Trevor Martin. He got Big 12 reliever of the week. Kind of struggled against Sam Houston last night, but in Vanderbilt, he looked amazing. Got a win and a save. I love him. Yeah, that's it. It's a good group, and we haven't even mentioned Justin Campbell yet. So, uh, really good group there. I think they could be, uh, I mean, the best that Oklahoma State's seen in quite some time. If if that if what you got out of Bryce Osmond is real, if what you got out of Victor Baderas is real, and Justin Campbell is what you think he should be, I mean, sheesh, that's a really good collection of three starting arms right there. Cade, uh, Kyle gave us another question about John Higgins. Since, since we already read from one from Kyle and you kind I of alluded I saw to this. his question later, we can we can skip past that one because we already talked about it. Well, no, 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 no. I want to I talk a little bit about this. 
<laughs> okay, so Kyle's He's, question was, yeah. who is the worst official in the Big 12 and why is it John Higgins? It's not. It's not, and I've said I, this. It's your the bald guy. It's What's the bald name? guy. It's Kip Kissinger. He's the yes. worst ref. And him, Doug Sermons, I think John Higgins might – might just be like the new nickelback of big 12 refs. Like it's cool to hate him. And I'm not saying he's great, but I think there are worse. Kip Kissinger is like my least favorite person in like when he's in that arena, hands down, he's my least favorite person. He was at the the Iowa state game. We were at. Yes. And I said it immediately. I was like, Oh dear, dear Lord. We got Kip again. So yeah, no, it's Kip. (laughs) It's not John. It's Kip. And then we've got, one last question from Heath Huffman at Heath Huffman. What's up, Heath? In all of your years watching Cowboy, Cowgirl Sports, what has been your most favorite and least favorite game moment? Kate, do you want to answer this one first? Well, yeah, real quick. Heath is a, a dear friend of mine, uh, so shout out to him. He's Thanks actually an question, OU Heath. fan. He's an OU fan, which <laughs> how we're friends is like out of out of bounds. I don't understand that. But he's not one of those those OU fans. I've said that to him for a long time. That's why we get along. <laughs> so thank you for the question. Thanks for listening to the pod. Um, I think right now my least favorite, because I keep thinking about it, is the Baylor Big 12 title game. I think I think right now – and for a long time, it's going to be my least favorite Oklahoma State sports moment. I mean, that just the, the game ending at the pylon that way, no doubt. My favorite. Oh, gosh. Maybe you go. My, I think my favorite so, might be 2008 Mizzou. Like that one really like has a warm spot in my heart. I don't know. I'm going to go with 2011 Bedlam as my favorite. Just kind of bring the positivity back after the Iowa State loss wins you the big 12 crush OU 44 to 10. I'm going to go with that one as my favorite. And then my least favorite, mine was the same. It's the Baylor game. It's just so fresh on my memory. I've got to go with that one. I know. And I, I don't know when that's going to go away. It's already almost March and I haven't really let it go. So yeah, we'll see. It might be the new 2011 Iowa state. Heath, <laughs> thanks for the question, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks. Heath. thanks to everybody. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks. Uh, Ed too tall. Thanks to Lou for the question. The voice yeah, question. Thanks. Really appreciate it guys. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. The the questions are always fun. I mean, Dustin, before we go, we can't we can't leave this podcast without talking softball, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's driving the Twitter account. Okay. I mean, the players are loving it. They're listening to the pod. Shout out. What's up? The official pod of Oklahoma State softball, allegedly. <laughs> Kate, I'm not trying to brag. And it's gonna be bragging. Uh, and it's I, also I it's not even to. It's not even bragging. It's actually probably just makes me a psycho. <laughs> but because all these games were on ESPN, I went back and I watched I watched multiple of them live, but I watched all five from the Clearwater Elite Invitational. And I want any of our softball listeners, anyone that listens that's a big softball fan, just to know I did that for you guys. Yeah. And we're not going to spend as much time on it as we probably should because we've already been going for a long time, but – it was a, it was a lot of fun. They went they went two and three. So, okay, do you want to run through it real quick? Yeah, let's. What were the results? It was a little disappointing. Um, so they beat they beat Michigan, who's ranked at the time nineteen sixteen in some polls. I'll just give you I'll just give you the uh, the uh, main. I think it's the ESPN poll ranking. So Michigan nineteen, they beat four to zero on Friday. They come back and play LSU, who's twenty first. They lose two to ten. And what we can come back to this, but I personally think that was the most disappointing loss of the weekend. They come back and lose to South Florida, who's not ranked yeah, one to was... seven. Washington beats them, which Washington was winning. 
it went back and forth. Oklahoma State took the lead at the end, and they let Washington get three runs to take three runs late to take it seven to six. But Washington's a top tier team. They're yeah, they're good. Sixth. They're good, good. And then Northwestern, who's ranked twenty third, they beat four to three to kind of end out the weekend. But okay, going back to that LSU and why I don't think it's the South Florida loss that was the worst. South Florida's pitcher Georgina Corrick, she's all ACC or all AAC pitcher of the year. This is one of Man. the best pitchers in softball, and she had a great game against Oklahoma state. They still should be able to hit a pitcher like that. If they're going to be an elite team in the country, but the LSU, I know they're ranked, but they've been so inconsistent. I believe they already have five losses. Sheesh. And they crushed the cowgirls multiple, just big time bombs. One was on like a check swing and it got out of the park, but a couple of them were just absolutely crushed 10 to two. That was, I think my most disappointing game of the weekend. Well, I was super pumped to watch it, and I, I watched three games this weekend. I watched LSU, I watched South Florida, and I watched Northwestern. So you can you probably can tell my general mood towards the way. But, like, at one point, this was amazing. This was a really amazing spot of my weekend. I had the ESPN multicast going. I had Oklahoma State baseball. Multicast is awesome. I had Oklahoma State softball, and I had Oklahoma State wrestling. And I think my wife thought I was an absolute crazy person. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I guess, kid, if you want to just kind of run through our key takeaways, I, I think mine and I, some of these will probably be similar for both of us. Kelly Maxwell named Kobe Pitcher of the Week. She's the ace. She's an amazing. You got to give her more help at the plate in some of these games. It feels like whenever she pitches, we just we just can't put up any runs. Other big takeaway Kylie Naomi, yes. Haley Busby, Sydney Pennington, and Carly Petty and Morgan Wynn. You got to get more from them at the plate. Well, I was these curious are, where you were going because, yes, I these agree. These are girls that can absolutely smash the ball. All of them, I think, except Sid, batted above 300 last year. Morgan Wynn, KU, but everyone else at Oklahoma State batted above 300. They all played amazing in the field. I looked at their error rate in these games compared to last season. It's really similar. So they're not having any lapses in the field, but they're averaging a little over three runs a game when last year they doubled that at about six. Well, now, I know it, we're only what nine or 10 games into the season, but you got to get more from them. But Cheyenne, my last takeaway is Cheyenne factor and Julia Cottrell have been amazing at the plate. I, I think I called them the smash sisters when I was talking to you, they're just bashing home runs Factor's doing it all over the place. She's definitely the most consistent player on the team right now. But if you get these bats that you know are good bats going, the sky's the limit for this team. It's actually exactly what I was going to say. Julie Cottrell, Cheyenne Factor were fantastic. And everybody else that like should be fantastic wasn't. So it's early in the year. It's kind of like the same thing with baseball. It's like the, you don't want to like take away too much from those games um, this early. Um yeah, and that was a stacked tournament. I mean, they they ran into four ranked teams. That's 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 pretty wild. You don't and South Florida is good. Yeah, they're borderline. I mean, they're they're yeah. really good with the great pitchers. So um, disappointing result, I agree. But like, you got to get more out of out of Kylie Naomi and some of those names that you that you know. Um, and Cheyenne Factor and Julie Cotrill were great, but they're not going to be enough to lead you where you need to be. Um, and if you got an arm in Kelly Maxwell like that, they're they're going to be really good. And if Miranda Ellis, Miranda yes, Ellis looked good you. against Northwestern. It, it's going to take her a little while. I think people don't realize 
she got on campus in January and she didn't play all last year. It's going to take her a little bit of time. And I know you don't have all the time in the world, but it's going to take more than just these first two tournaments. So they're back at it. They're back at it this weekend in college station. They got Texas Southern Tennessee state and A&M Texas Southern Tennessee state. They should, they should destroy them in those games. Those, those two teams have struggled this year. They're, they're not great. A&M will be tough, especially at home, but you'd like to see them kind of sweep it and take all those games. Yeah, definitely. They're going to have to do quite a bit of that. I mean, if they, if they want to hit the mark that they set last year and, 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 you know, kind of jump on top of that this year, I think they're going to have to, they're going to have to sweep the teams they're supposed to sweep. Yeah, I agree. Dustin, before we go, we've got tickets to give away, right? Yes, we do. So we did our first ticket giveaway and, there's there will be several more we're going to do yeah the first of many and then we uh we'll have we'll we're going to try to do another sport next year we're going to aim for wrestling but right now we're gonna we're gonna do baseball and we've got our first winner he was notified later tonight the contest ended at 5 p.m today bradley he's at bc horto he said it's his first time gonna it's gonna be his first time in obrate he's gonna be at the right state oklahoma state game this weekend one o'clock on sunday the, actually the friday game got moved due to weather already so there's going to be a double header sunday so he will be at the first one of those really appreciate everybody that participated i believe yep. we had over 90 people join in on that so we're going to do more uh we should i think have one next weekend for the gonzaga game but if you don't know right state they made the tournament last year yeah, no doubt. Well, this this was fun. Like, we've never done a giveaway like this before. It was fun. Bradley, thank you for participating. 105 people uh, participated in this. That's awesome. Um, which is just, like, out of control. I, I didn't expect that. Thankful for it. Excited to do more of these. But, yeah, these these tickets are to, like, good games. Like, we're not just giving you the ones that we don't want to go to. Like, these are yeah. these are good tickets to good games. Wright State is good. I mean, there's there's other games coming up that we, we will also be doing giveaways for. So be sure to stick around with us for sure. Yeah, not to, not to just flip it back to baseball, but to Kate's point, Wright State is good. These games are going to be good. They, their record right now, they don't have any wins, but they play Georgia Tech, who's ranked, like, 11th. Yeah, so, right. Wright State is going to be some tough battles this weekend, especially with the cold weather. If that game gets played on Saturday, that should be an interesting game. Oof. Yeah, that's brutal. I, I don't think I'll be in Obrate on Saturday. Sunday <laughs> looks pretty nice, though. 56 degrees, yeah. uh, light wind. That seems pretty good. Then they go to Arizona State next week. I know we didn't want to kick it to, to uh, baseball too soon, but like or continue to kick it to baseball. But they go to Arizona State, and then they got a home series against Gonzaga coming up. That's going to be fun. Uh, actually, my uh, wife's cousin plays at Arizona State now, so uh, we oh, might have cool. a little conflict going on here in the web household for sure. <laughs> yeah, we have some. Okay, there's some good games. We'll be giving we'll be giving tickets away to. You know, they play Seton Hall at home. Obviously, the whole Big Twelve state slate. They got Wichita State. They got ORU at home. So we'll be putting these out on Twitter. It's probably going to be a similar thing. You know, like retweet, follow. We might try to get some things involved with the reviews of the podcast where you guys come on and maybe bash Cade and I a little bit. I know Adam <laughs> and Mitch did that on tape. Doesn't lie. And it was pretty funny. So maybe we can do something like that, but if you guys like it, we'll keep doing it. We'll try to get another sport added in there. Like, like I said, I think wrestling would be a fun one. So we'll see how that goes, but love you guys participating. Congrats to Bradley. I hope you have a great time. Send us a picture. Yes. We'll post it on our Twitter. That's what I was going to say. Dustin, thank you, brother. Appreciate it. And again, if you want to participate in these giveaways, 
And even if you don't, if you want to just keep it locked with us, you can do it on Twitter at feels like 45 pod. You can follow Dustin at Dust Ragu and you can follow me at Cade Webb. Um, lots of stuff going on on that Twitter account. And uh, we obviously want to keep you guys entertained as best we can. Uh, Dustin, that's all I got, man. It was good to be back. Thanks for having me back. Thank you for not firing me while I was gone. Uh, <laughs> definitely good to see you again. And uh, yeah, I think that's all we got, right? That's it. Yep. Okay. Go Pokes. Yeah. <laughs>